In our last two assemblies, we've been concentrating upon the subject of what is the chief purpose for our existence, why has God created us, and we found that the answer is that man was created in order that he might glorify and enjoy his God forever. And we have covered the relationship between a person glorifying their God and one enjoying their God. And we found that we cannot enjoy God unless we do glorify him. And we cannot glorify him unless we really enjoy him. So we can't do one without the other. The two are interrelated. Now today we want to use the last word in our answer, and that involves the term forever. What does it mean to glorify and enjoy God forever? And this is one thing that makes the Christian religion distinct from some of the other religions of the world in that we do not believe that this life is all that there is, but that there is an eternal state beyond this state, which is called eternity, and that we are not only going to enjoy God here, but that we're going to enjoy a perfect union with him hereafter. So we want now to ask the question, well, what truths are inferred from this word forever, as it's used in the scriptures? And I would set forth two very quickly in passing. If we are to enjoy God forever, this infers that God has given man a dignity above all the other creatures here on earth, and that he's given us a capacity of glorifying and enjoying God both here and hereafter. You can go out here to a horse, and you will find him grazing and carrying on his various activities, but you will not find him having a conscious awareness that he has a God and that he is to glorify and enjoy that God. In other words, God has placed man and given him a dignity above all the other creatures here on earth in that he has created man in his own image. You go back to the Genesis account of creation, you find that God created the animals, created the plant life, but when it came to man, he created man in his own image, thereby man is the highest of his created beings. And he, in doing that, he gave us a capacity to enjoy our God and to, in, to glorify our God, which he did not give to the animal creation. So man is more than an animal. And I'm sad, it's sad to say that the last 100 years here in the United States of America, through our evolutionary thought, most people's thinking today views man as something of an advanced animal. And he is to be conditioned and dealt with as an animal. But man is not an animal. Man has been dignified by his God far above all of the animal creation in that man has an ability to enjoy and glorify his God forever. The second truth that's set forth in this term forever is that the soul of man is not annihilated by death, but is advanced by it. In other words, when man dies, that is not the end of it, like it is with the animal creation. That when an animal dies, his, his being ceases to, to, uh, to exist. But with man, his nature exists on after the physical life is over. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, For me to live is what? Is Christ. And to die is gain. 
In other words, he was merely setting forth that while I'm alive, I'm living for the glory of Jesus Christ. But when I die, I gain even more. Because I enjoy him here, I shall enjoy him hereafter. Paul did not believe in the annihilation of the soul that all ended with man at death. He believed that there was something beyond this veil of tears. In the 23rd verse of the same first chapter of Philippians, he said, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. He likened this life. He said, I'm in a strait between two opinions. I want to stay here and serve you people at Philippi, but I also have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. So whatever this eternal state is for the believer, it is likened unto a better state than this present life in which that we are in. Now, if this be true, is it, does it not reflect upon our Christianity many times when we give evidence that all of our hope is in this life? That when we are so prone to give up the temporal things of this life, is it not reflect somewhat to the unbelieving world that we do not believe in a life hereafter? Oh, may God help us to see that we as Christians can live for the glory of God in this life and enjoy our lives, but that we have a hope beyond in which more enjoyment shall be fulfilled there. Well, Pastor, is it then to be understood that our enjoyment of God in this life is not complete? In other words, is it possible then to enjoy God fully in this life? And we'd have to say, no, it is not. One thing prevents our enjoying God in a proper relationship in this life, and that's spelled out in three little letters, S-I-N, sin. Sin in our nature prevents us from glorifying our God. We want ourselves to be glorified. And if that is the case, then it hinders our enjoying God, because the relationship is again related, inter-between. We cannot glorify our God if we don't enjoy him, and we can't enjoy him unless we glorify him. But sin in our nature prevents us from glorifying him, therefore we cannot truly enjoy God in this life as we ought to, but we will in the next. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, the apostle says this, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, if there should be anyone here this morning and you believe that you're perfect, then maybe that the Apostle Paul should have something to say for you. Listen as we go on. He says, But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, what's Paul saying? He's saying, Beloved, I want you to know I have not obtained perfection as of yet. Now, I talked with a man in St. Louis some six, seven years ago. My wife and I visited in his home, and he said that he went some five years without sinning. That is, that he became a perfect man, and he went for five years without sinning, and he eradicated his old sinful nature. And I said, well, sir, have you sinned? Oh, yes, I've sinned now since then. And I said, well, how did you sin if you no longer had a nature to sin? He said, I just reached back and grabbed it. Well, that kind of, of theology you just do not find, see, in the Scripture. The Apostle Paul, of all people, 
who would exemplify Christ Jesus in his life. He said, listen carefully. He said, I have not obtained unto that perfection. I have not yet reached a state whereby I can glorify my God and enjoy him forever. But he says, I want you to know this. I am following after it. It is my goal. It is that for which my heart beats. And he said, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I press forth unto those things which are in the future toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. What is our calling unto? Why did God call you to be a Christian? Why did he separate you out from the world and call you unto his service? We read in the book of Romans, in order that we might be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And you see, Jesus Christ is a perfect example of who God is. And Jesus Christ delighted in doing the will of God here in this life, and he enjoyed the will of his Father perfectly. And so our end result will be that we will be in a state whereby we shall glorify and enjoy our God in perfection forever. And that's what Paul says. I haven't reached that state yet, but I'm pressing toward it. And I'm longing for that state in that time to come when I might receive the prize of our high calling in Christ Jesus. Now, in what fashion or terms do the scriptures liken this eternal state of joy? If there is a life hereafter, what do the scriptures have to say about it, and what terms or figures do they describe it? Now, the eternity of this state where that we are going to as Christians of happiness is essential to man's present enjoyment of God. Now, listen carefully to this. I think that we can illustrate it perhaps uh, in a way that we might be able to understand whatever happiness you enjoy. And I hope this is your experience. I think it is with, with most people. If your happiness is viewed that eventually it will come to an end, that very thought will spoil your present happiness. In other words, if you enjoy doing a certain thing, but while you're performing that, you know now it's soon going to be over. And I'm not ever going to enjoy this again. Is that not going to affect your present state of happiness? Aren't you glad that God didn't tell you the exact date you were going to die on? If you knew that you were going to die at 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, what do you think your final hours would be like? Would it not affect? Your final hours, because you know that your life is going to cease at two o'clock tomorrow afternoon. In other words, what I'm saying is, if we, in order to have happiness, if we have a thought that it's going to end, it will affect our present happiness. But Christian, our thoughts of happiness are not affected that way because our happiness will never end. You see that? In other words, we have a hope beyond the grave that we can enjoy our life here and hereafter. So that's why that we do not go around as others which have no hope, but that we have a hope which is sure fast and steadfast in Christ. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 19, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. 
And I'm very much afraid that many of us as Christians give the impression we don't have a hope beyond in the next life. In other words, if we talk about Christ and we worship Christ, we come to the services and we sing of Christ, but all of this will end one day and it will never be anymore, Paul says, we're of all men most miserable. If this life were all it was and there was nothing hereafter, Paul says, even our Christianity would not give us happiness. We'd be miserable. We're all men most miserable. So the hope of the Christian that he will live and enjoy and glorify his God in a state of eternity is one that brings great comfort and consolation and enjoyment to our souls. The Bible assures us of this eternal state of joy with God where we can glorify and enjoy our God forever by clothing it in these following terms. And I want to give to you six or seven of the terms that are used in the Bible to describe the eternal state of the righteous. First, it's called eternal or everlasting life. This state whereby the Christian shall enjoy his God forever is called eternal or everlasting life. This present life has an end. And every funeral that comes bears this out, doesn't it? This may be the last day of my life. I do not know. It may be the last day of your life. But we do know this, that this present life of man in our physical body comes to an end. And even if a man lives as long as Methuselah, who lived 969 years, it will still be recorded of that man, and he died. You read in the Bible of all of these people that lived, and each one closes with describing their life, and he died. But a person who lives and believes in Christ, Jesus himself said, shall never die. Believest thou this? Though he may die physically in the body, he shall never die spiritually or eternally, because he has been made immortal in the image of God, and therefore he must be everlastingly happy. The person who dies in a state of righteousness here shall enjoy eternal happiness because it's likened unto an eternal life. Now, when, how long is eternal life? Eternal life has no ending, does it? And the person who has been made a partaker of eternal life will enjoy this state of God forever and ever and ever. The second term that's describing this state in the Bible, it is called heaven. It's called heaven. We read in the Bible of our reward in heaven. We read of a hope laid up in heaven, an inheritance reserved in heaven, and the kingdom of heaven. It's called the third heaven, where the throne of God is located and where Christ in human nature ascended up unto. You remember after Christ arose from the dead, he met with a few of his disciples, and then he ascended up into the clouds, and two angels stood on either hand, and they said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which has gone away shall what? Shall, shall so come in like manner. The physical resurrected body of Christ ascended into the heaven where the throne of God is located. This eternal state is where the habitation of the holy angels dwell and where the departed saints of God go to be. 
This eternal state of God is also referred to in the Bible as eternal glory and an eternal weight of glory. 1 Peter 5, verse 10 says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18. For our light affliction. Now listen carefully. If there's a soul here this morning who has suffered financial setback or a physical loss, a spiritual uh, disappointment, whatever it may be, listen to what Paul says in this, these words. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul described this life, this life as a period of light affliction. It endures for a moment. But what we undergo in this life makes us far more appreciative of what we shall have in the next, in that the next life is an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And when we undergo certain disappointments and heartaches in this life, Oh, how that makes the Christian's heart beat for that time of reunion. Amen? That time in which that we will enjoy, a time in which that never again will we go through an affliction or a testing or a trial or a tribulation. Because we shall be able to enjoy our God forever because our desire will be to glorify him forever. So Paul described this present life as a time of light afflictions, of turmoils and tribulations, but he likened that unto the next life, which is an eternal weight of glory. The glory of kings and kingdoms does not last long, but soon passes away. Have you not been impressed with the events that have transpired in our country in the last 10, 15 years? Of all of the money, the power, the prestige that men desire in order to be elevated to the most powerful office on the face of the earth, in order to receive glory, pomp, and splendor, whatever whatever their motive might be, have you not been impressed in the last 15 years how suddenly Those mighty kings and their kingdoms have been pulled down, and they are no more. How that a man can be the most powerful man on the face of the earth one day and two weeks later is humiliated. My friend, that is but a great big picture of your life and mine. If we look for glory and fame and happiness in the material creation, We may have it for a moment, but it may come like the man who said, I'll have to tear down my barns and build bigger barns, but there's going to come a disappointment. The kingdoms of this world pass away so quickly. And yet heaven is likened unto an eternal weight of glory that never passes away, and the happiness that we enjoy in heaven will endure forever. The happiness which present kings enjoy is temporal and it's transitory. It soon changes. But the happiness of the saints endures forever. This eternal state of joy, which we're talking about this morning, is called in the Bible a house eternal in the heavens. 
Second Corinthians 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. How many of you, and I don't want to get just sentimental and emotional, but how many of you have the old home place that comes to your mind? Does it not? I drive by ever so often to where that I was born at and then another place right close to there where I grew up as a child. And several years ago, what I considered the old home place burned down. So every time I drive by there now, there's a sorrow that comes in my heart as I look out there on that hillside, and I remember as a child all the experiences that I enjoyed there, mom and dad, the brothers and sisters and so forth, and I realized the house is not there, and not only is the house missing, but that home life is missing also. Can't bring it back anymore. What am I saying? Our house, our home in this life soon passes away. Fire may come along and consume our home here. Winds may come and blow it down. Termites may eat it away and it may decay. But, beloved, it is said in this life that a man's home is his castle. But how many times have individuals been turned out of house and home in this life? How many times have they not been able to meet the circumstances to continue in that home and the creditor comes and moves them out and sets them outside? They're put out of house and home. But may I say this on the authority of God's word, none of these things can ever befall the dwelling place of the saints of God in heaven. Home is everlasting. Home is eternal, where we shall ever be with the Lord. There shall never be a separation in our eternal house made by God in the heavens. It will be the eternal home of the righteous. So while our homes here may be destroyed, the Christian has a sure, fast hope that in the life beyond we have a house eternal in the heavens. This eternal state of God is likened in the Bible to an eternal inheritance. Hebrews 9, verse 15, They which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. First Peter 1, 4 says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Did you ever receive an inheritance? Does it not fade away so quickly, particularly in this day of inflation? A man in this life may lose his inheritance on earth, either by means of force, someone may come and steal it or take it away from him, or by means of fraud, someone may cheat him out of his inheritance. But the saints of God are assured of an inheritance in heaven which is reserved for them by the forces and power of God. It is as safe and secure in that it is out of the reach of anyone who would rob the saints of their possession. This eternal state of God is referred to as a continuing city. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 14 says, For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. 
It is said of Abraham that he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker was God. Now, what does a city speak of? Maybe it doesn't speak of what it formerly did. But in centuries past, a city spake of security. It spake of that which people could go and live within its walls and be secure from their enemies. It spake where they could be with other members of the human race and enjoy each other. And our eternal state in heaven is likened unto a continuing city. History tells us of great cities in the past, of great antiquity and fame and strength and glory, which have all been destroyed and we can't even find hardly a trace of them. Nebuchadnezzar would read, and we'd read of him in the Bible, this is mighty Babylon which I have built. We would ask today, where is the city of Babylon? This great city which was looked on as one of the greatest cities in the world has long since passed and decayed into the dust. All earthly cities will eventually decay and pass away. But yet in this life, it is said of Abraham, he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker was God. He did not put his thoughts upon temporal strength and security in the material universe. He did not concentrate upon his inferior reason for his existence but for the chief reason, and that was to glorify God. And on the basis of that, he knew he had a reward eternal in the heavens, not just in this life. In this life, the saints of God have no such city, but they seek one to come, a city which hath foundations so firm and secure that they can never be destroyed. The next way that this eternal state is likened in the Bible, it's described as a better country. I invite your attention for a text of scripture in Hebrews chapter 11. Turn there if you have your Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, and reading verses 13 through 16. Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from which they came out, they might have had an opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud that America is my native land and that I can sing, My country tis of thee. This is the land in which I was born. It is my native land. And yet, in the spiritual sense, we as Christians confess that we are strangers and pilgrims in this life because this life is not our native land. That is, it's a temporal country. And the Bible likens the eternal state where we shall enjoy God forever as being a better country. A country is one's own native land, but the saints in this life confess that they do not have a native land, because they have been born from above and been made partakers of their heavenly calling. They yearn for their native land, where they may enjoy their God forever, forever, forever. 
As days go along, our life is quickly fleeing. Our life is but like a flower. It grows, it blossoms, and then it dries up. It's over. And all if there's a soul here this morning, I hope that as that ages begin to show upon our face and we're approaching our time when we will soon be departing, I hope we have a hope that we are going to a better country where our native land is because we've been born from that native land. We've been born from above. And then this eternal state is called an everlasting kingdom. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 11 and for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In this kingdom of Christ there shall be no end. And there the saints shall reign with Christ forever and ever and ever. You say, well, Pastor, in heaven how, what shall we reign over? They, we as God's people shall reign over our enemies. And our enemies are not carnal, flesh and blood, but spiritual. That is, the sins which do so easily beset us in this life. You see, my friend, that's the whole purpose of the gospel. Christ came and he conquered sin, and he made me a victor over sin, and one day I shall completely reign over my sins, living in a state where I shall sin no more because of the victory that I have in Christ Jesus. It's called an everlasting kingdom. And then finally this morning, this eternal state of joy is expressed as being with Christ forever. It is the thought in which the saints are encouraged to comfort themselves in this life. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17, the apostle, after trying to comfort the people at Thessalonica because of some of the death of their loved ones, he says these words, So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. What is the hope you have in the next life? What's the essence of heaven to you? Paul summarizes it. I hope it's yours. I hope your hope is just not to have some little run-down cabin in the corner of glory land. I hope your hope is a scriptural hope. Wherefore, we shall ever be with the Lord. I hope that your conception of the eternal state, that whatever it may consist of, that the essence of it is that you'll be with your God to be enabled to glorify and enjoy him in a state forever and ever and ever. Now, what is the application of this great principle this morning? It simply is this. It shows us the folly of those who hope to enjoy the next life are bypassing the glory of God in this life. Did you hear that? It shows us the folly of anyone who hopes to enjoy the life beyond while bypassing the glory of God in this life. My friend, you're deceiving yourself if you think that you can live through this whole life for self and not honor and glorify God, which was the reason why you were created, and then yet still have a hope that somehow you're going to live in a state where you're going to enjoy yourself forever and ever and ever. That's a delusion. That's a delusion. 
The psalmist says these words, Psalm chapter 73, verse 25, our final text this morning, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. In other words, the very essence of his life. There's nothing on this life that I want more than you. And there's nothing in the next life that I want more than you. Do you see that? That's the essence of life. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You see, the Christian can't lose. He can, by living for the glory of God in this life, enjoy this life as man was meant to enjoy it. And then when this life comes to an end, he can enjoy an eternal existence in perfection that he never knew in this life. Is there any man, woman, boy, or girl under the sound of our voice this morning that you have a hope of the next life, but it's not based on the Scripture? You hope everything will be all right, but yet in this life you're trying to get everything you can out of it, and you've never once looked to see the purpose of your existence was to glorify and enjoy God. Where do you get your enjoyment? Put yourself to the test. Where do you get your enjoyment from? Is it all out of the temporal, material, physical universe? Or do you get your enjoyment out of things which come from above, the things which are beyond? Now, that's the acid test. If you don't enjoy the things of God now, my friend, under the name of human logic and under the inspiration of God's word, where do we think we'll enjoy them in the next life? If I would take, how many of you ladies here this morning, you don't love those little things called mice? See your hand just a moment. How many of you? You don't? All right, a few of you. Let's suppose I took you and I put you in a beautiful home, gave you the most elaborate furnishings that you could ever desire, set you down there in a great big easy chair of comfort. I said, now this is all yours. And then I took about three or four hundred of those little creatures and released them in your home. You think you'd enjoy that? The application is this. Do you think that you as a sinner will enjoy the eternal presence of God when he may equip you with all of the beauties of heaven, but then the one thing that shines in the eternal state is his glory? And if you don't love his glory here and you don't enjoy it here, do you somehow think that you would enjoy it beyond? Heaven would be a hell to you to have to live in a place where you don't enjoy the glory of God. And that's why I've often said, if you put an unregenerate person in heaven, if there was a window, he'd try to jump out of it in the first 30 seconds. If you don't enjoy the things of God here, oh, my friend, don't think that you're going to wake up one day and somehow you're going to enjoy them beyond. Where is your affections? Set your affections on things above, not on things on this earth. Let's stand together. Rick.